you've probably heard someone say, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, or some variation of that. MMA loves this concept. The sport has mega gems like American Top Team, Jackson Winklejohn, Extreme Couture, Sanford, Rufus Sport, all over the country. These teams host tons of world-class fighters, many of them with multiple current or former world champions. But not everybody chooses these huge gems. Some prefer to make their own team or stay in their hometown, and despite their size, despite not having the facilities or wealth of talent around them, these fighters manage to become world-class anyway. So let's do what we do and count down the absolute best. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and good god dang, Jocko comes a-knockin'. That's right, Jocko Fuel is back with a spooky October deal, as you can now get 10% off on all Jocko Fuel products using the exclusive code MMA On Point. So with your subscription, get free shipping and stock up your fuel over at originmain.com slash jocko-fuel for the ultimate all-natural spooky energy boost. Anyways, more on that later. For now, though, here are the 10 most successful MMA fighters who trained with nobody. A quick note, when we say nobody, we don't literally mean nobody, and we're not in any way trying to diminish the role of any person who trains or fights for these gyms. We're simply saying that compared to the mega teams with tons of top-tier talent on the roster, these small groups stand out for having a single talent that broke through and became a star. Alright, onto the list. Number 10, Johnny Hendricks. It's perhaps the most unique team situation on our list. One essentially built around the idea that you pay a high-level wrestler money to train full-time, and they'll eventually become a UFC champion and make you boatloads of cash. That was the idea behind Team Takedown, who signed Johnny Hendricks very early in his MMA career. The deal was simple. They would provide the collegiate wrestling standout a gym in Texas, a car, a full-time salary, and take care of all the travel expenses for the team on fight nights, and in return, all Johnny had to do was win and split his purses with Team Takedown. The idea being that while while early on, things wouldn't really be paying off for the management team, but once Hendricks became a UFC champion, they'd be making some serious bank. Things kind of worked out. They certainly did for a while. Johnny had a whole host of coaches and teammates who were all there to see him succeed. He was the focus of the gym, essentially, and through the WEC and UFC, they rose up the ranks together until Hendricks eventually did capture that UFC gold, defeating Robbie Lawler at UFC 171. Shortly after Johnny's career started to fall off, however, the partnership was no longer tenable, and Hendricks decided to wait out his contract team takedown to move forward. Of course, the latter portion of his career turned out to be a bit of a disaster, with all the weight issues and losing five of his last six. But for the time they had together at his peak, the experiment of team takedown was an interesting one and possibly successful. It could certainly be replicated if someone were to hit the jackpot with a fighter who rises to the level of a UFC champion and has the drawing power of Conor McGregor. Number 9. Tony Ferguson Tony Ferguson's the kind of guy to call a place Snapdown City Academy, but he's the only person training there. Of all the fighters on our list, El Kikui is perhaps the most notorious for running his own camps out of his private facility in Big Bear, California, through much of his incredible UFC run that's seen 15 wins, the most consecutively in lightweight history with 12, 11 of the night bonuses, and an interim championship. While what comes to mind for most when they think of Ferguson training is those wild videos out there of his legendarily unorthodox methods, kicking steel poles and throwing baseballs, Tony has always created a team of trainers around him for his fight camps. The NCAA national champion wrestler brings in talent and coaches to assist him in preparation and regularly utilizes locations like the Box and Burn Gym in Santa Monica, Freddie Roach's wildcard boxing gym, which he recently has made his main hub, as well as Eddie Bravo's 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, whom Tony has a black belt under. As far as sparring partners go, Ferguson hasn't sparred since 2015, so they're not really needed. Tony feels sparring stifles his creativity. Those who have trained with him have spoken about his insane self-designed camps. Jeremy Stevens told ESPN they trained for seven hours one day before watching Rob 
Rocky IV. Then they went out on a midnight run. Stevens said, quote, It's champ shit. The guy's incredible. He's smart. It's not just barbaric work. The guy trains with extreme intelligence. After a recent string of losses, Ferguson's move to Roach's camp gave him what he felt was structure that he never had, an interesting insight into how his camps were conducted during his epic lightweight run. Of all the things Tony will be remembered for in MMA, more so than anyone on this list, running solo with his truly unique methods of preparation will forever be a part of his legacy. Number 8. Mirko Krokop when your name is what they call the team and the gym, you're probably getting some good attention. Mirko Krokop's legendary striking was developed long before his MMA career, though, even before his kickboxing career, according to him. While he did train in various martial arts as a child, his primary method of preparing for a life of kicking people's souls out of the side of their domes was in an open garage at his home in Croatia next to the pigsty. As Krokop tells the story, in the winter, the garage would fill up with snow and he'd have to regularly shovel it to train. They didn't have proper equipment, but his dad bought him a speed bag. Just the bag, mind you, nothing else. So he hung it up and while it was too light to punch, he could practice his kicks. And that is where Mirko said he developed his timing, speed, and power as a kicker. Just sitting in that garage all damn day throwing high kicks till he couldn't stand anymore. After that, Krokop would train with the Croatian national kickboxing team and of course go on to be world class before starting his MMA run in 2001. The hub for the rest of his career was the Krokop squad gym in Zagreb where he brought a team in around him and would train twice a day regardless of whether he was in camp or not. While Mirko largely kept things local, one notable brief addition was Fabrizio Verdum as his jiu coach for a few years in the mid-2000s. While the Croatian star would venture out more in his late career, the core of his work in his prime always went down in Zagreb. Number 7. Ronda Rousey it's perhaps one of the more dubious, or at the very least, infamous connections on our list, and that is Ronda Rousey with Glendale Fighting Club in Glendale, California. Imagine that. Ronda was, of course, an Olympic medalist in judo and had been a practitioner since she was just a little kid. In her teenage years of training, she oftentimes practiced at Hyacinth MMA Academy, where she befriended future UFC fighter Manny Gamburian. It was the Manville who turned her on to Glendale Fighting Club, or GFC as the cool kids call it, when Rousey started taking interest in an MMA career. As the story goes, head coach Edmund Tarverdian didn't want anything to do with Rousey until he realized after a few months at his gym, holy shit, she's really good at this. So on a whim, he showed up at her first Amy fight in 2010 and even wrapped her hands, telling her to keep them up. She didn't really need to since the fight lasted 23 seconds before Rousey would score an armbar, and from there it was off to the races. While Rousey did venture elsewhere from time to time like Dynamics MMA and the Gracie Academy with Henner and Hyan mostly to train jiu-jitsu, GFC was home and Rousey was the gym's big star. As the rowdy one made her way through the best the sport had to offer from 2011 to 2015, her game began to evolve from almost purely judo to really feeling confident about her striking, something many would criticize Coach Tarverdian about following Ronda's devastating loss to Holly Holm, and even more so after her defeat at the hands of Amanda Nunes. A controversial combination, no doubt, but Rousey and Glendale Fighting Club are forever associated with each other in all their greatness and in their defeats. Number 6. Chuck Liddell there are a few duos quite like the legendary John Hackleman and Chuck Liddell in mixed martial arts. The crew, better known as the Pit Fight Team, would form before Liddell's MMA career even started and span the distance of his epic run as UFC champion all the way up to his retirement, let's not speak of the golden boy times. Hackleman became one of the better known coaches the sport had in Chuck's prime, and the pair are pretty much synonymous with each other and Hawaiian Kempo. If you were watching a Chuck Liddell fight, there was gonna be a notably big bald guy with a goatee in his corner. They even bothered to create him for Chuck's intros in Undisputed 2010. So how did this PB&J combo find each other. As Chuck tells the story, he was at the time an amateur kickboxer, and as fate would have it, he ended up in a sparring session with Hackleman. Liddell said it was the first time in his entire life he'd ever truly been hit hard or lost a fight. The next day, when he was unable to get sanctioned for a pro bout because he had no pro experience, he reached out to John and asked him if he would teach him his Jedi ways. Hackleman agreed, and from their gym in St. Louis Obispo, the team started turning Liddell into the god of violence and carnage that he would become. While a few other fighters have come from the small gym that made it to the big time, Liddell is the only champion. 
Hogan. And while he did use a young Glover Teixeira as a training partner, sadly that relationship would end when Glover was forced back to Brazil, unable to return to the States until 2012 when he would make his UFC debut two years after Chuck had retired. Hackleman and the Pit are still very active to this day. While Chuck has retired again, hopefully he won't be boxing Jake Paul anytime soon. Number 5. Max Holloway the best is blessed, baby, but Max Holloway doesn't need one of MMA's mega gyms to prep for his fights. A skinny young Holloway made his way to Gracie Techniques in Honolulu, Hawaii, impressing gym owner Ryan Lazarez in 2011 after winning the X1 Lightweight Championship in just his third pro bout after having started his combat sports career in kickboxing. Lazarez takes care of his wrestling and jiu-jitsu. The second piece of Max's base team joined him in 2013, Muay Thai coach Ivan Flores, who was brought in to help prepare for the Conor McGregor fight. From there, Max picked up Darren Yap, his strength and conditioning coach out of tactical strength and conditioning, and while there are of course other staff at both gyms, those are his core team, and it's worked out pretty damn well for Hawaii's top fighter over the course of 18 UFC wins, too many records to count, and three successful featherweight title defenses. During a typical camp, Max would work eight-hour days that consist of two two-hour sessions training at Gracie Techniques, and in between his strength and conditioning program at Tactical. During the pandemic, Max explained that his entire camp for his featherweight title rematch with Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 251 was done via Zoom with his coaches, only meeting up in Las Vegas the week before they made the trip to Abu Dhabi. Training at a small gym where you're the main focus is one thing, preparing for a title fight via FaceTime is truly something else. The team is back together again though, their last fight a godlike beatdown of Calvin Cater. Number 4. Fedor Emelianenko Part of the mystique of Fedor Emelianenko was in his training. Videos of The Last Emperor working out in the forest or at a park, hitting giant truck tires with a sledgehammer, or sparring on a basketball court with rims that had no nets, running through the streets of some isolated part of Russia. All of it only added to this idea that Fedor was some otherworldly figure. He came from some hard place and trained with what was available, turning him into this tough-as-nails stoic that would walk to the ring with absolutely no fear, no emotion. That's partly true, but it was more so that Fedor is a simple guy who likes being at home. He doesn't need his gym to be some fancy state-of-the-art place. He's perfectly fine waking up every day and running five miles in his hometown of Stary Oskol, Russia, before heading to his local gym in a beat-up Toyota and getting to work. Now, of course, Fedor had years of combat sports experience in Sambo and Judo before he started MMA. He was a member of the Russian national team. He's also trained elsewhere. In his early MMA career, he was part of Russian top team. He spent time training at the Voss Gym in Amsterdam, but for the core of his career, he was provided a team by Red Devil Sport Club, who'd all live and train with him in his small hometown gym in Starry Oskol during camps. Fedor was incredibly loyal to his coaches, some who trained him in his MMA career first started with Emelianenko when he was a child training in Sambo, such as Vladimir Voronov. When asked in an interview why he trains where he does, Fedor said, there is no other choice. This is my home, this is my land, I would not want to choose anywhere else. Number 3. Stipe Miocic a lot of times when a fighter is starting out, they train local, and local may not exactly be an MMA hub. Once they show some promise early on in their careers, these fighters from smaller gyms will often seek out the bigger, well-known established training facilities with high-profile coaches, even if they have to uproot their whole lives in order to better serve their goals. Stipe Miocic is not one of those fighters. He's Cleveland till he dies, as Conor McGregor's foam machine gun Kelly would say. Miocic broke into combat sports at Strong Style MMA Training Center in Independence, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland that has a population of 7,000 thousand people. Back in 05, when Stipe was still in college, he was invited to the gym because of his wrestling credentials to help train with Dan Bobish. Following his time finishing up school to be a paramedic, something Stipe still does for his local fire department to this day, he hooked back up with Strong Style and began pursuing boxing. After some early success, he and the team decided he would be a force in MMA between his hands and his wrestling, and so the journey began. By 2011, he was in the UFC, and the rest is history. According to the former heavyweight champion, even if he was 0-100, he would still be at Strong Style, because for him, it's not just about 
about the training. It's about the bonds he's made with head coach Marcus Marinelli and the rest of the staff who help him prepare for every single one of his fights. Seriously, find you somebody that loves you as much as Stipe Miocic loves Cleveland. Number two, Conor McGregor. Honestly, could you even imagine Conor McGregor at a gym like ATT or Jackson Wink? Whether Conor ended up a billionaire booze distributor or not, I just can't even picture him at a larger gym where he might not have gotten as much focus. Nowadays, the champ champ truly does what the fuck he wants, literally running his own camps, flying all his people to whatever country can accommodate them during the pandemic, likely spending absurd amounts of money between all the talent he's employing and the facilities he's commandeering. But while Conor McGregor now has more power than ever as it pertains to his camps, going back as far as at least the comeback fight against Donald Cerrone, he's always been the big fish in a small pond since he became a star winning or learning with John Cavanaugh and crew at Straight Blast Gym in Ireland. Don't get me wrong, he uses other SPG facilities besides their HQ, and of course there's Crumlin Boxing Gym, Iceland, who could forget the Mac Mansion in Vegas? He probably has a full-size regulation octagon on his yacht. No matter where McGregor goes, though, it's that small-focused team, which has gradually ballooned a bit like Connor's foot before the Habib fight. My foot was a balloon. My foot was a balloon. That's been there the whole way on this absolutely insane ride that is Conor McGregor's career. The Notorious showed up at SBG in 2008, gut-punching future coach Owen Roddy and making Ashling Daly cry. Not the best start, but Kavanaugh reined him in, and while it doesn't sound like they've always been on the same page all the time, John's been a mainstay for the Irishman through thick and thin, or maybe better said, through welterweight and featherweight. Number 1. Demetrius Johnson. Before the record 11 UFC title defenses, before people were calling him one of the greatest fighters of all time, Demetrius Johnson was just a guy who was working a ton of hours and trying to stay in shape after he got off his shift. Having been a wrestler and being interested in mixed martial arts, he eventually found himself in Matt Hume's gym, AMC Pancration, near where he lived in Washington State, and so would start one of the most successful coach-slash-athlete teams in the history of mixed martial arts. DJ and Hume, who had fought in Pancrase and worked for Pride and Dream, rose in notoriety as a top-tier coach in the sport, alongside his star pupil. Johnson was working full-time when he started his MMA career, fighting largely on the Washington regional scene and going unbeaten until signing with WEC. It was only right before his bantamweight title fight with Dominic Cruz in 2011 that he quit his full-time job working at a recycling factory and solely focused on MMA. From there, Human Johnson, from their small Washington gym, would go on an unprecedented title run at flyweight that is not likely to be replicated by any fighter in any division. With the pair now in one championship, Hume in an executive role and matchmaking, and Johnson fighting, they can no longer be the game-day combo they want were, but they built their reputation together as one of the all-time great small gym stories in the entire sport. I just want to give a big, big shout-out to the official fuel of MMA on point, Jocko Fuel. And gosh dang, does October pack a punch as the boys are back to offer 10% off on all Jocko Fuel products using the exclusive code MMA on point. So if you're an absolute zombie for their all-natural spooky energy drinks like I am, get your subscription, get your free shipping, and stock up on your fuel over at originmain.com slash jocko-fuel for the ultimate natural energy boost and go on living your best life kicking some ass. Happy October, everyone. A big old shout-out to my dude Luke Taylor for editing this video together. You can find him and his awesome digital art on Twitter at cool to me underscore. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. All right, that's all I got for you. Thanks for watching. Please like, subscribe, and have a wonderful day.